On the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between, this is Brewers Weekly. Here's Dominic Catronio. All right, all right, all right. Staying up late with us tonight after a tough afternoon against the Orioles. I'm Dominic Catronio. This is Brewers Weekly. Thanks for joining us. We've got a few Brewers Weekly lined up here uh, with day games and off days here in the month of June. So every Thursday night that the Brewers are not playing, 8 o'clock right here on WTMJ. Uh, big thing to note, though, about tonight is I've done this, I've had to do this a few times because of scheduling conflicts and things of that nature. Tonight's recorded. So just a heads up, tonight's recorded. If you're texting in, calling in, we're not able to answer those tonight. Just given the fact that, well, it's all set up today. And the reason for that is I was able to sit down with Christian Yelich and Quentin Berry individually to talk a little bit about defense. That'll come up later on in the program here today. We're also going to talk about today's game here in the first segment, but even a little bit of a deeper conversation about what's going on with the bullpen. Are there trends that we're alarmed about right now? And then finally, also going to talk about some roster stuff that's looming. We're going to talk about Bryce Terang being sent down, including some comments from him after he was sent down uh, on Wednesday before the game. And even despite having a solid game on Tuesday, we'll break that down. Luis Urias' return. What does the outfield look like moving forward while Joey Weimer has continued to tear the cover off the ball? The truth of the matter is the Brewers suddenly don't have a lot of depth in the outfield as things stand with Tyrone Taylor's injury. So we're going to break down the look at the roster and some injuries and things of that nature. But first, let's start with today. Man, just one of those days that, I mean, the Brewers, you feel like, man, when you're hitting, you feel like it can never stop, right? You get three runs in the first inning. You're feeling confident about yourself. Doing it against a solid pitcher in Kyle Bradish, and he certainly woke up and got the strikeouts going. Ten strikeouts, third time in his career. He reached double digits in Ks. But that third inning, and it comes it comes back to the, the first inning, I should say, and it comes back to that reminder that first inning runs are cool, but you have to continue to add runs on. This felt so much like two Sundays ago against the Giants. Remember, they scored seven runs in the first two innings and couldn't add on, couldn't add on. They had the bases loaded, and then they couldn't add on there against the Giants. And then here, there were multiple opportunities for the Brewers to add on. Uh, I think of the Yelich double in the fifth inning, his third time through with one out, and he gets left stranded. Or then the Contreras double to lead off the next inning, and they went to the bullpen. Uh, and even his aggressive tag up, like if I was doing post game today, that would have been my difference making moment if the Brewers had won the game and scored there, obviously, given the fact that he did an aggressive send tagging up to get to third with less than two outs on a fly ball to right that wasn't that deep in Santander. He's got a good arm, and I thought that was some serious stones for William to get down there to third base with less than two outs, but then Singleton could not make contact. He ends up striking out, which is not normally his M.O., and then Brian Anderson is also retired to end that inning. After a leadoff double, the Brewers have nothing home to write home about, and that was the moment, then my difference-making moment, the fact that the Brewers ended up losing the game. They couldn't add on from there because then in the top of the seventh inning, Baltimore gets on the board, and they start to believe. It's also a run off of Yoel Piams for the second straight game. And Ryan O'Hearn almost took him deep again, too, just like he did on Tuesday night. I'll save a deeper bullpen discussion a little bit later about where they stand. But about today's game in particular, with Piams 
suddenly giving up home runs. He still got out of the inning. And then Strzelecki giving up the big blow on the home run. I, I saw a lot of folks talking about the fact that, hey, w- why wasn't Devin Williams up? Why wasn't Devin Williams coming back in for a four-out save? Uh, this wasn't addressed in postgame, but the thing that I my impression of it all is, number one, you need to have somebody complete the eighth inning, right? You can't have Peter Strzelecki continually looking over, or whomever it may be, whether it's Peter, whether it's Piams, whether it's Peguero, whether it's Matt Bush when he comes back, continually looking over their shoulder as soon as a little bit of trouble hits in that eighth inning, like, all right, is, is Devin going to come in and bail me out? You can't last an entire season doing that. And I know you're saying, oh, well, well, Josh Hader did it. Why can't why can't Devin Williams? Well, then Josh stopped doing it. Because the truth of the matter is, you need to be able to complete an inning. And Pete knows that. Piguero and Yoel and Matt and Bryce, everybody knows that. You need to be able to complete an inning as a reliever. And it was a crossroads moment there for Pete Strzelecki. Giving up the one run, they still had room to work with, right? And yes, the double, maybe he would have scored, maybe he wouldn't have on the throwing error by Luis Arias that allowed Rutschman to get the second base, but then he hit a double, so who knows? But the point is, there were still two outs, and a man on second base. Pete had a chance to get out of that inning against the lefty and Gunnar Henderson. And on the first pitch, he ambushes and hits it opposite field to left field. Craig Castle said it today post game. If you're going to get beat with something, get beat with opposite field, an opposite field homer. I mean, it's just like you kind of tip your cap. And I know I tweeted it looked like a ball, but it really it was up. It was a hittable pitch. It wasn't far enough off the plate or far enough elevated like Pete probably would have wanted that pitch to be. Uh, just like the pitch that he had been getting beat, he got beat by the Giants on uh, against Hanniger when he missed with an elevated fastball but it caught too much of the plate and Craig Council still felt it caught enough of the plate and out that Gunnar Henderson was ready to flip it the other way and credit to him for hitting the go-ahead two-run homer. But my point, my greater point here is yeah, you would have been, you know, if it was a playoff game or if it was September, maybe you throw Devin there. But also I remind you with how fast things develop nowadays with the pitch clock era and trying to get uh, pitchers ready to go. Frazier strikes out swinging to start the inning, right? You're not going to have Devin warming up at the start of the eighth inning. You're just not going to do that because like I said, you're going to keep a guy ready to go expecting to do his job. You always expect your guy to do the job, and then you plan whenever something's going to go wrong. Devin was in uniform walking around in the bullpen, but he was not throwing yet, especially after you get the first guy out. Then you get the single and the error. That was only on the second pitch of that at-bat. So you're thinking, okay, maybe it won't hurt them. You don't know. And Santander had been ice cold coming into this series, and then he rips the double. So you blink, and you're like, okay, so, so maybe you go out for a mound visit, Chris Hook goes out there, calms him down. Things are okay. Devin's walking around in the bullpen now. And then, boom, strikes out Austin Hayes looking. So you're thinking, okay, all right, he's going to get out of this. He's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. With two outs, maybe you would have had him warming up during that mound visit. But to have Devin come in just for Gunnar Henderson, I, I didn't see it happening. Personally, I 
Pete has to do his job there, and he would tell you the exact same thing. And he didn't do his job, and he gave up the home run, but you tip your cap, he made a good swing on it. For the folks that want Devin to do a four or five out save every single time, that is not sustainable. That will not last the entire season. And also, if this was a series, maybe if it was a rubber game, the Brewers would consider it. I wonder if the fact that this was for a sweep, and I know you want to win every game. I don't want you to overreact to me saying this. The fact that it was a gravy day, it was going for a sweep. You've already won the series. You would have taken a series win over the Orioles coming into this. Absolutely. But the point is, you're going to have a a lesser opponent coming into the Oakland A's. A team that you quite frankly expect to sweep. I don't know if you start thinking about, oh, well, we got this one. We got the A's coming to town. I doubt that was happening in the bullpen. Or in the dugout, I should say. But the point of it, the reason why I bring it up is the fact that you need to put your foot down at some point if you're Craig Council and say, no, I need to see who I've got in this eighth inning. And maybe today we learn that Peter Shrozlecki may not be made out for the eighth inning. He got out of it the last couple of times. This time, it didn't go well. And as Matt Bush returns, he is going to pitch leverage innings, guys. I know some folks have mixed feelings about him. He is going to pitch leverage innings. And I wonder what this is going to lead into some greater thoughts about the bullpen. We're going to talk about that and looking forward coming up next. Just getting going here on Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Back with more Brewers Weekly. I'm Dom Catronio. Brewers lost today but still won the series. A's are coming to town over the weekend. The Oakland A's. The swinging A's over the last two days. They were off today, but their last two games against the Pirates, they managed 20 runs. So they can certainly swing it. The reason why they've only got 15 wins is because of their pitching. Not because of their offense. Brent Rooker can swing it. Ryan Noda has been a great Rule 5 pick for them from the Dodgers. Ramon Laureano still a threat. Este Uri Ruiz. You remember that name, of course. We'll talk more about them at the very end of the program, but... Now about the bullpen. I just want to take a segment here to look at what things are, how things have been rolling, what's ahead, and what's on the horizon for the Brewers' bullpen right now. Matt Bush is going to be on a rehab assignment this week down in Nashville, so there is an arm returning. Also, J.B. Bukowskis, we haven't seen him yet make his Brewers' debut, but it sounds like he's somebody the Brewers are very excited about. They want to keep him around and in the fold as he is working out a strained neck right now. Those two guys are starting to maybe ramp things up here and should be back within the next two weeks if JB gets activated to the active roster. Of course, Matt Bush will be too. But when I look at this Brewers bullpen, Devin Williams has the ninth. We know that. But maybe after today, we may not be so sure that Peter Strzelecki will have the eighth inning. I wonder, and I considered this in my head too, and this happened uh, in the last appearance for Peter Strzelecki against the uh, top of the order as well. Not against the Orioles on Tuesday, uh, but rather over the weekend against the Reds. When he came in for the eighth inning, he faced the top of the order. And I wonder, I, I, I want, it's not playoffs, it's June, but I wonder if there's been ever an entertainment or a thought or a, you know, a suggestion that the Brewers would put Devin to face the top of the order in the eighth inning, knowing that might be the moment of the game, as opposed to Pete or whomever it may be. But then I found myself thinking, well, 
wait a minute. If, if you bring Devitt in and he obliterates the side in the eighth inning, right? He's not going to get a six inning. He's not going to get a six out save. So if he comes in and obliterates the side there in the eighth inning, but then all of a sudden there's a rally forming in the ninth inning and you've used your best bullet. That's why you don't see him in the eighth inning against the top of the order, because in case there's something that goes wrong, you know, against Devin in the ninth, you're saying, well, this is our best guy. This is who we've got. Whereas if something goes wrong in the eighth inning, you've still got two innings to correct it. Where if something goes wrong in the ninth against Devin, you can say, well, it was Devin and nothing has gone wrong against Devin so far this season. So I entertained that thought for a second, but I wonder if it's truly going to be more by committee moving forward. I know the Brewers and Craig Council love to use their script and they try to keep things as structured as possible. They believe that's the best way to have relievers pitch in expected windows. They pick out where they want. They pick out what they expect. But you look at Pete against the top of the order. He didn't pitch that bad today, truly. I mean, even the double by Santander wasn't hit that hard. And, you know, maybe it would have been second and third and one out if there's no error, I don't. I doubt they send Rutschman in that scenario, and you've got a different uh, stake of things moving forward. But that's neither here nor there. It didn't happen. The point that I'm trying to make is, I wonder if now we'll see take it day by day, right? If you see a bunch of lefties, I mean, we've barely seen Hobie Milner as of late. We saw him warm up today, but we've barely seen Hobie because they haven't seen a lot of leverage lefties. They haven't been hitting leverage in their lane. And remember, the Orioles have a bunch of switch hitters too. So it's like you're picking a side of which side you want them to hit on. Rutschman and uh, Santander, both switch hitters. So maybe if you bring in Hobie there, you're, all right, so we got to have them swing right-handed. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't match up to what the Brewers' philosophy is thinking of trying to keep guys on their wrong side, if you will. But, I wonder if moving forward, we see not so much of a demotion. I wouldn't call it of getting him out of the eighth inning, but a mix and match sort of thing. Really take it to heart on the scouting report and play it hard saying, you know what? This, these guys are all ground ball guys, or these guys really have trouble with breaking stuff. Let's go with Pyomps here, right? Nasty slider bunch of grounders. Hey, this part of the order struggles with velocity. It's the eighth inning, I know, but hey, let's go with Elvis Piguero. He throws 98-99. This part of the order struggles with velocity. Go with him. I wonder if the Brewers are going to start thinking about moving around the quote-unquote roles of this bullpen and not be so structured to Pyomps in the seventh and Strezlecki in the eighth because let's be honest, they haven't had a bullpen like this where it's a little more fluid in the last two years. Boxberger had the seventh, Devin had the eighth, Josh had the ninth. We've known that for the last two plus years. Now it's not so locked down aside from Devin in the ninth. And when Bush comes back, it further complicates things. And right now, Trevor McGill has been pitching pretty well. I, I really like what I see from McGill, another guy who's got a big, heavy fastball. Uh, Bennett Souza is not going to stick around, and Bryce Wilson's been more of the long relief type role. So your, your leverage guys are really pitching held into Strez, Piomps, and Piguero, and then when Bush returns, Bush. And they're all right-handed. Granted, Piomps does succeed pretty well against lefties. I, I just really am intrigued to see how the Brewers handle things 
if it changes. Now, if Pete, if they're in a close game again tomorrow against the A's and Pete's right back out there like most relievers would want it in the eighth inning and he struggles again or he gives up more contact, it has to change because you can't let the month of June, which the offense has been decent, it wasn't great today, but the offense has been better so far, then be marred by the bullpen issues that you were afraid of earlier in the year. And their bullpen wasn't perfect in May either, but it was more about the offense in May than it was about the bullpen and some starting pitching in there too. And I made it this far on the program, not giving any kudos to Colin Ray. And we'll fix that here coming up a little bit later on in the program. But up next, uh, I want to start to talk about some positive stuff. was lucky enough to sit down with Christian Yelich. We're going to talk about some defense with Christian and with uh, Quentin Berry. That's up next on Brewers Weekly. A few things jump off the page when you look at Christian Yelich defensive. Welcome back. I'm Dom Catronio. This is Brewers Weekly. But a lot of folks laughed last year when they saw that he was a finalist for left field uh, for the Gold Glove Award. And remember, he's already got a gold glove. That was back when he was younger with the Marlins. But here he is now. We've got so many things to keep track of when it comes to metrics and how outfielders are performing. There are a few things that jump out to me when I look at Yelly's numbers here. And I'm not just looking at the basic stuff when it comes to a guy's baseball savant page. I want to remind you about the fact that Yelich is one of the leaders in outfielders, specifically left field. He's tied for baseball's lead coming into Thursday with four outs above average among left fielders meaning he has made more plays well above average. He's added value to his team defensively, specifically to his right. He has done a great job. He's also saved an out going to his back and one coming in. And some other stuff that jumps out to me is, first of all, his reaction time has improved immensely over the last few years, shaving off uh, two points versus league average on his average jumps. His route efficiency is still great given to what it had been better in his previous career but the point is his route numbers take a hit because he's getting better reactions and he's got more time to adjust his route whereas when he was getting bad reactions he would take perfect routes because he had to take a perfect route in order to get it and most notably the arm I think this is the biggest thing the biggest change we've seen from Yelly his average arm strength has been virtually league average for left fielders at 85 miles an hour so there's a lot to like about what we've seen from Yelly. How about you hear it straight from him? Here's what Christian Yelich has to say about his defense. So Yelly, we watch you in left field. There's a lot more to the position. I think people realize jumps, reads, things of that nature. How do you assess the first third of the season so far for you defensively and how things have gone for you, you know, specifically with that kind of thing? Uh, I think it's been good. Something that I've put a lot of time and effort into um, the last few months. Just getting with Q and just wanting to be better out there, and like I know I I know I can be pretty good out there. Um, so just wanted to just put the effort in and try and um, improve as much as I could. As the phrase goes, there's gold on the glove. I mean, you have the gold glove previously from your time with the Marlins, and then you were a finalist last year in left field. So there's obviously a pedigree for you out there. How, how much pride do you take in your defense? Uh, I mean, you want to be like a, you want to be an all-around player. You don't want to have you want to try not to have any holes in your game, or you want to just you want to be a player where you can just be trusted to to be really in any situation, and um, you know, just be able to play as much as you can um, and as long as you can. And 
you know, I think no matter how long you've been in this league or how long you play, like you always want to try and continually improve and um, find ways to to better yourself. And the ways to do that is just to, to put the work in, honestly. So what's what's the day like work if you're out there with Q, if it's drills, if it's throwing? What's the day look like for Yelly and Q out there in, the, in left field? Uh, I mean, it's different every day, but... Um, you know, it kind of just depends on how your body feels, like what the schedule's like. But um, a lot of it's just like it's honestly, it's it's really simple stuff. But it's just like you, you're, it's a refresher, and um, you know, you just like you stay with it. Like it, it'd be probably pretty surprising of like how normal it would probably seem. Um, and a lot of it's just like really being locked in and. During when the game starts, it's like being locked in and being aware of like who's pitching for us, watching hitter swings, and um, just doing it. I mean, this is this is one of the hardest outfields in the league, honestly, um, just because it's really hard to see the ball here with the windows and the shadows and um, all that. You know, whoever whoever designed this field hated hitters and outfielders, so. Um, you just got to really, really bear down and really pay attention. And um, just the more repetitions you get out there, the the easier it becomes. And um, you just try and bring it every day. You know, I got Joey playing next to me. And, um, you know, you, just, you never, you never want to be a weak link. So you, you want to just contribute as much as you can. When you look at what you're doing with your arm right now, though, too, I mean, the arm numbers have improved. We can see it from Savant and stuff like that. Yeah. Do you feel difference in mechanics or what's been the goal with your arm specifically? Uh, just, you know, there's another thing in spring training where, um, you know, I went and talked to Q and, like, wanted to find ways to just make the arm path a little bit shorter or just better. You know, I've never really been gifted with the the strongest arm, but um, you don't really need a really, really strong arm to be, like, a good outfielder. You know, you just need to be able to be accurate and a semi-quick release and um, have the ball come out good enough, and, and you can do plenty out there. You can stop guys from taking bases and um, really just, like, using your feet to get the balls, give yourself time and... Um, just get it out. A lot of times, it's not really about throwing guys out, and it's, it's about keeping them from taking another base. I mean, because to throw somebody out from the outfield, like a lot of things have to go right. Like, you know, you could have a guy with the best arm in the league out there, and for him to throw somebody out, like you need the right kind of ball with the right runner and right situation. So it's not, um, it's not always about that. It's just mostly preventing like extra bases and, and stuff like that, and things that don't really show up, but they end up showing up. Well, it showed up against uh, with Adrian Hauser just last week with the Reds and cutting off that ball and getting a double play. Little things like that don't pop up in a box score. But lastly for you, when when you look at the way that you have to play left field here, you mentioned Joey already. I mean, you can move to your left. You can make a play to your left, but you know you got Joey bearing down on you. Like the play we saw last night, his range is ridiculous. The, the dynamic between a corner outfielder and a center fielder, knowing center fielder is probably going to take it. How's that been working out with Joey learning center field? Yeah, it's been good. I think it's just being aware of, like, where he's at, like, what gap he's in. Um, he obviously goes really, really hard after every ball, so you kind of have to be on the lookout for him, too, <laughs> just to make sure that uh, you're not going to collide with each other. Um, but it's getting good. I mean, our, our, the communication's good, and we've got, you know, a few months of reps out there together. Um, so you kind of start to learn where each other are going to be or like kind of the limits of each other's range and um, you know you're just constantly just you're constantly building out there and trying to like become a, a complete outfield unit 
That's Christian Yelich. Thanks for the time, man. You got it. My thanks to Yelly for joining us. Back with more on Brewers Weekly after this. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Welcome back, Brewers Weekly. I'm Dom Catronio with Quentin Berry here on the show. We are talking a lot about defense right now on the program. And Q, you're a guy that I think a lot of folks obviously see you at first base and counting disengagements and counting stolen bases and keeping track of that stuff. But the stuff that they don't get to see is pregame, working with the outfielders, working on little things. Let's start with Christian Yelich. What we've seen from him so far this season, good reads, good jumps, good arm to the naked eye. What does the coach see so far from Christian Yelich this season? Just paying attention to detail. You know, he came into spring training with a plan and a, and, and a decision that he wanted to get really, really uh, good and, and improve his game defensively and, and make an impact on that part of the baseball field. So, I mean, it's a testament to him. You know, he's put a lot of time, a lot of effort. Um, he's engaged every single day, and he cares. And a lot of time at this level, like, the defense can be an afterthought. He's making it a priority, and it's showing in the way he's playing the game. When a player of Yelly's caliber comes to you, and even after he was a finalist for a Gold Glove Award last year, too, and he's already got a Gold Glove on his mantle, comes to you at the start of the year and say, I still want to get better. And for you, I feel like you got to light up to that and really get excited to hear that kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, the thing about it is it, it, all, it all sounds good early, right? It all sounds good going into spring training. It all sounds good, and that's something I told him. I said, it's all good early, but what's going to happen when the season starts? And, you know, the ups and downs of the offense or whatever happens is – we all start losing our way as far as defense and what, what's important and the little things that matter. So he's done an amazing job staying on it every single day. And when you put the time and you put the effort in and you stay with it and you're consistent, then you become de- consistently defensively. So he stayed with it, man. It was awesome that he came to me and that he wants to continue to work on it every single day. And when it comes to his arm, we, we can see it with velocity. We can see it with accuracy. He's always had the accuracy, but this year has been a little more juice behind it. What has been a mechanical change, if anything, uh, of trying to get a little more out of Yelly's arm? Yeah, we've tried to uh, shorten up his arm stroke. We've worked on it. He works on it every day. He comes out with his band. You know, it's something that I got with Chris Hook, and he helped me. If we could shorten that up and we can move him a little bit quicker, we can get some more arm speed. But then we've also made sure he's thrown on a regular basis and really gotten out there and then stretched it out a lot. So, um, like I said, putting in the work, constantly working every single day and not taking a day off. It's been really huge for him. In the first game of the series against the Orioles, Joey Weimer made a play that was absolutely ridiculous. Maybe he doesn't make top 10 because he doesn't leave his feet, but at the same time, that's what made it so impressive. What were your impressions of that catch by Weimer and what goes into making a great running catch where you really have no room for error? Yeah, I think you hit it spot on. I think when people don't really credit you when you don't leave your feet, but how difficult it is to make a running catch running full speed and not have to leave your feet is more impressive to me than if you dive. So he covered a ton of ground. We all know his reaction time and his ability to get his first jump is one of the best, if not the best in the game. And it's just fun to get to watch him come and compete every day on the defensive side. I mean, he goes nuts on every fly ball. I mean, sometimes it looks like he's ready to run somebody over at times, but you kind of want that out of a center fielder. No doubt. You want a guy that's aggressive, errors on aggressiveness, and, you know, that... You know, he's ready to go full throttle every time. You can usually back those guys down a little bit. It's hard to get somebody to want to be like that, but he's naturally 
that every single day on every single play. So that's what makes a great center fielder. And one of the things about this team right now, we're chatting with Quentin Berry of the Milwaukee Brewers on Brewers Weekly. One of the things about this team is so many guys that are versatile and playing multiple positions, going from infield to outfield. Guy, obviously, like Brian Anderson, we've seen what he can do with the arm, but he's somebody that right field wasn't natural to him when he was first coming up as a prospect and now he's really started to blossom out there what are your impressions of him in your first year working with him yeah versatility is everything with the brewers you know it's been that way for a long time it's kind of been you know the pedigree council and the way we go about our business and guys coming here and having to step up you know you deal with injuries and things in the long season and ba has been out there way more than expected and has done a great job we couldn't ask for anything more from him to go out there coming into spring training wanting to play third their base is primary position but he's gone out there and filled in and right field and done a tremendous job for us you know he shuts down the running game guys don't take the extra base he's locked in so he's done a great job for us i'm super proud of him and everything and his efforts he's put in out there and he continues to get better every single day there's a lot of stuff that we can look at you know metrics wise jumps and reads and catch probabilities is there anything that jumps out to you that you like to keep an eye on to make sure that your guys are in the right places or is it just kind of let me let my eyes do the talking here i just want to make sure they catch the ball and <laughs> that's the biggest thing that's the main metric that i care about we're catching the ball as much as we can stopping everything but i think the metrics are good for them it's good for me to understand if we're engaged it's a good it's a good gauge for me to see if we're engaged or for staying on every single pitch um and, and it gives it gives the players something to have some feedback you know you usually defensively you don't get feedback you don't know why or what happened and it gives us at least a little bit of a platform to go back and look at and say, okay, this is where we can improve or this is where you kind of took one off, took a playoff, or we can get better here or there. So those are cool and all, but as long as we're catching the ball and we're stopping it from running, that's all I care about. It's Q Berry here on Brewers Weekly. Appreciate the time, Q. Uh, thank you for having me. It's impossible not to smile and learn something new when you're talking to Quentin Berry. Man runs like the wind still. I still think he could steal like 40 bases today, especially with today's rules. No doubt. My thanks to Q. Hope you enjoyed a little bit of some defense conversation. There's so much that goes into outfield defense that happens within a split second of the ball being hit, and it's hard to track, but thank goodness for the stat cast era for us to look at it. But at the end of the day, like you said, you just got to catch the ball. We're going to talk about Bryce Terang and the infield picture coming up next on Brewers Weekly. Welcome back. I'm Dom Catronio. This is Brewers Weekly. On WTMJ, we're back on the air tomorrow night. Brewers post game, Brewers extra innings. We'll be with you after the A's and the Brewers at seven ten. But right now, let's talk about what happened this week. Bryce Terang was optioned to AAA Nashville. In case you're not familiar with what that means, that's okay. All it means is the fact that he is still in the organization. He's gets sent down to AAA. You're allowed three option years. The Brewers have officially used his first option year. You can be optioned five times within a year. It only counts as one option year, and thus begins uh, the first adversity in his big league career. He was very honest and open with us. I want to play some of that audio now. His initial shock and his reaction to learning he was being sent down and what he needs to do. Nobody ever wants to go back down when they come here. It's part of the game. It's... You see, some of the best players in the big leagues have been optioned before, and it's part of your journey. And I mean, it is what it is. Um, got to produce up here, and that's what it's about. And I got to go back and get right, and I'll be back. What the way I listened to that and gathered that intel from from Bryce, and the way he delivered it was just very 
surprisingly stoic and and more of a not like a bummed out. Of course, he's bummed to go to AAA, but at the same time, he understands and he's motivated and he it's very simple for him to arrive very simple for him to figure things out moving forward it's just produce and being one for 41 at any point is going to make anybody frustrated but to do it in the big leagues where winning is the only thing that matters you know developing the big leagues is nice but that's what triple a is for and he's so young he's 23 years old guys he's got a long long career ahead of him and i believe that he can get things right and some more reaction from him just about the fact that he did get about two and a half months or so, two two plus months of big league experience and a ton of time in big league spring training and what he's taken away from his first stint in the big leagues. The biggest thing is, you know, you you got to come up here and help the team win. And, I mean, you do whatever you can and, and just trying to adjust to it and learn about it and understand the game more um, it's helped me a lot and like I said I'll get I just got to go back and get right and then whatever happens then happens but. so with Bryce currently out of the picture Andrew Monasterio the hot hand is sticking around but with that said I think part of the reason that Andrew's sticking around is given the fact that he is right-handed and Bryce has not been playing against lefties. I wonder how much Bryce is going to play against left-handed pitchers down in AAA to get him right and to get him going in the right direction. But if Andrew slows down or if if Abraham Toro slows down or Mike Brasso starts tearing the cover off the ball, and there are other ways to move Bryce back to the big leagues. So... He said it there. He'll be back. He's confident that he'll be back. But for Luis Arias, he's gonna. He knows this too, and he's. It's tough to ask for so much of a guy so early coming back from missing two months of a season. But Weicho is still looking for his first hit of the year, and I don't want to overreact to a slow first series. And of course, playing his brother this week was a great story. But I think Weicho knows it too that. He's he's gonna need to put up, and he made he's made a couple of great plays. He made that great play in Cincinnati. Made a great play on Tuesday night as well. Uh, and the error was the error. Who knows if it would have mattered at the end of the day in today's game? Weicho knows he's gonna have to step up and continue to produce because he sees his replacements right there at second base specifically. And if Owen Miller keeps hitting, I mean, you can't take Owen Miller's bat out of the order until he cools off. He's still hitting right around 300 right now. Production takes care of everything. My favorite phrase, you don't like it, play better. So at the end of the day, one of these guys is going to play better and earn more playing time. That's why Andrew Monasterio is sticking around. He was playing better. See how long it lasts, ride the hot hand, and see what the Brews can do here in the rest of June. As this is the month, that this is that transition month. You go from, oh, it's early, to what do we need? Let's start winning. Let's build a lead. And I'm not looking at standings yet. That's not till July. That's where we're looking at things right now. So a quick look at the infield. Owen's not going anywhere, and his versatility helps. Abraham Toro's versatility helps too, but man, Rowdy has been scuffling at first base. John Singleton's around, but they're both similar type players. One of them's going to have to play now with lefties on the mound, and the Brewers are going to have to take it day by day until somebody forces their way and produces their way onto the big league roster while Darren Ruff is injured right now. Sounds like it's going to be a long-term thing for Darren. Let's uh, preview the Oakland A's as we wrap up the program after this. Mineshaft. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. 
today. Thank you for tuning in or if you're listening in podcast form on Brewers All Access. Tell your friends we got post game shows all weekend long. So come on in, sit back, relax, and enjoy some Brewers baseball against the Oakland A's coming to town. And former Brewer 2011 member Mark Kotze, of course, at the helm now for the A's and the green and gold. Tomorrow, it'll be Adrian Hauser against Luis Medina, who's one of their top prospects. He's been struggling so far as he's really all these starters, these rookies especially, being thrown into the fire as uh, the Brewers are going to try to take advantage of him. He's got a live fastball, though, but it's rather straight. See if they can uh, get after it with Luis Medina tomorrow. It'll be a 7-10 first pitch. We're on the air at 6.05 or 6 o'clock after Wisconsin's afternoon news with Brewers warm-up. Saturday, I've got Brewers warm up at two. Julio Tehran against Paul Blackburn. That should be a good matchup. Paulie B, as they call him, was the A's All Star a year ago. Tehran's been great for the Brewers. See if he can continue his hot stretch on the mound. And then finally, Sunday, Freddie Peralta back on the mound against the lone lefty for the A's that the Brewers will see, JP Sears. So see how they react to that. The A's, they can hit. I promise you, they can certainly hit. Like I said earlier, Noda can hit, Rooker can hit. Uh, and it's just a matter of how many runs are they going to allow, and they can they keep things within the ballpark. Hope you enjoy the series. My thanks to Justin Pottinger, our producer. I'm Dom Catronio. Keep on swinging.